0: I mean, what were they thinking when they were naming themselves? Well, let's see. Uh, ugly girl. Dumpy guy. No, super tramp. that a word. Anyway, that particular song, as catchy as it is, uh, I never actually considered the lyrics until much, rec- much more recently. And, and it actually probes a pretty interesting deep question, as any good song does. Because in the chorus, it asks this question about life says, there are times, and you remember this, there are times in all the world's asleep. And um, the cr- questions run so deep for such a simple man. And there's, he's, he's kind of picturing a time at night when nobody's around, when your thoughts go down to one basic question, that the simple ma- mind, the simple man can't fully understand. And the question is this, won't you please, please um, tell me what we've learned. I know it sounds absurd. Please tell me who I am. It's an interesting question that most never stop in the busyness of life to think of or answer, who am I? I mean, it brings up the corollary questions of, you know, where do I come from and who do I belong to and, and what is my identity and what is my worth and value? Like, who, who am I? Please tell me who I am. And there are a thousand different voices out there saying or declaring who we are. Some of them say that we are Nothing more than just advanced animals. And yet the Bible tells us something quite different. It does have an answer for us to this question, please tell me who I am. And in the scriptures, um, who we are is connected to or related to who we are in relation to God. Almost all value, true value, looked about, looked on biblically, um, associates itself with God and, more importantly, what God thinks of that particular thing. And in this case, we look at human life. Who are we? What is our worth and what is our value? Now, when we think of the sanctity of life or the sacredness of life, we oftentimes think very narrowly of, of abortion, and, and we should, or the issues of starvation or genocide. But, but the whole idea of the sacredness of human life, who we really are, I mean, that's a topic that, 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 that really should affect all of our relationships with every person we relate to because all life is sacred, not just the ones who are unborn. All life is sacred. So let's for the next few moments just kind of hold up and remind ourselves just how important life is, that it might affect the way we see ourselves and see the people around us, much less the unborn or the, or the aged. Now, when it comes to the scripture, I think you can establish the sacredness of of human life on two basic truths or doctrines. The doctrine of creation and the doctrine of redemption. Or to put it differently, how we relate to God as our creator and how we relate to God or Christ as our redeemer. Those are kind of the two lines, the two pillars, the two foundation stones of the sacredness of human life. That first one, creation. Our lineage... And most of you know this our lineage goes back to a sentence in Genesis 1:26 where God said let us make man in our image in our likeness and let them rule That's that's the origin of human life according to the scripture is when God said let us make man in our image in our likeness and let them rule Now, that statement of creation asserts two facts about the importance or the sacredness of human life. The uniqueness of human life and the ownership of human life. The uniqueness of human life is captured in the statement, Let us make man in our image. That's what sets apart humans, every single soul, from every other created thing. That according to the scriptures in that verse, what sets apart humanity from the aardvark, the hippo, the baboon, and the giraffe is the fact that we bear the marks of our Creator. He has imprinted upon us into the fabric of humanity, into the form of man himself. So that we are not simply a higher animal form, we're distinctive in that we bear the marks of our Creator. What that tells us is that every soul, woman, man, child, has a royal lineage. Do you ever wish you woke up and realized, hey, my great-great-great-grandfather was the king of Zimbabwe, and, you know, I've inherited this royal line. Well, the truth of the matter is, every single soul has inherited a royal line that goes all the way back to our first creator, our only creator our first and only Father who gave life. That's the royalty of, of, of humankind. It all goes back to that. And though we have fallen from our lofty, dignified position through corruption and sin, that imprint still remains, Genesis 9 tells us. In other words, people still bear the marks of the glory of God in their lives. Which, in my thinking, explains why people, Christian and unchristian light people from every walk of life why they do such good things and noble things sometimes like all of the the outpouring of compassion and relief that's now being sent over to Haiti that to me is a reflection of the fact that people still bear the marks as fallen as we are of a God who is infinitely compassionate and generous it's a reflection of him that's what it is that's why you can look at a piece of architecture and you can go wow This is amazing. Or you can look at a painting and be staggered. Or you can look at the complex technologies that we create. Or you can see people who don't believe in God at all loving and receiving love in sacrificial ways. Why? Because they still bear the mark of God's glory in their lives. God is still reflected in every human, every soul. Regardless of whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're old or unborn, whether you're a Republican or even a Democrat, I don't say that pejoratively, or whether you are straight or whether you are gay, every single soul alive still bears the marks of holy God in their lives as dim as it may be and distorted as it may be, and therefore should be treated as sacred. Sacred. If you see in people, no matter what they believe or say or how they act, the fact that they still bear the mark of Almighty God, you will treat them different. This was pressed home to me in an experience I had some time ago when a woman stopped me on a sidewalk. Out of the blue, I'd never talked to the lady before, and she didn't know me from Adam. She stopped me on the sidewalk, and she said, are you related to Ralph Scott Slight?" And at first, I was freaked out. You know, I was thinking, are you stalking me, like going through my trash, reading my mail, or you know, do you have the gift of prophecy? I said, um, actually, yeah, he's my grandfather. How did you know that? And she said, I could tell by the way you walked. I was thinking to myself, of the hundreds and thousands of people you see walk, <laughs> you saw my walk and said, hey, that guy must be related to Ralph S- Slight. And it But that was it. She saw a resemblance of the way I walked to my grandfather who was a friend and a, a co-worker with her. And what was interesting is that She treated me special after that moment. Not because I was in myself special to her, but because I was my grandfather's grandson. Because I was related to the one she loved and reflected him, she treated me special. When we see one another and see in one another the resemblance, albeit a fallen one of of the Lord, then we will love and treat people with respect because we know that God loves them and they still are related by way of creation to the Father. They still bear His marks. So that's one thing, one aspect of creation that makes us distinctive and and makes human life sacred. You, me, our children, unborn and born, all bear the mark of God, His image. But then there's a second facet of that statement, let us make God in our own image, and that is that word make. We were made by Him, and therefore we belong to Him. Ownership. What you create is yours. And that's true today in the human sphere. You know what it takes to copyright something? Just make something. I once thought you had to, you know, get it notarized, send it off to some company, spend a lot of money to get something like a song or a book, copyrighted. But no, that's not the way it works. As soon as the pen is lifted from the page, the final note of the piece of music is written, it is yours by way of creation. It is. Now, how you prove that in a court is something different. But copyrights are intrinsic to creation. And the same is true in the divine realm, whatever realm, whatever God creates is his and continues to be his, which is why he can say in Psalm 50 verse 12, that the earth is mine and everything in it, we still are his. My life is still his. Now I know we like to think that my life is mine, therefore I can take it if I wish, but my life is actually his. It belongs to him and your life belongs to to him as well. He owns it. He owns the copyright, the patents. There's a trademark on your life saying God's. I belong to Him. Therefore, I should treat myself as though I'm His property. That the people in this room are God's property. And so we should treat them as God's property. You have a good friend and he lets you borrow his car. Chances are if you love that friend and you respect that friend, you're going to take care of his car. If you don't respect him, you won't respect his car, his possession. It struck me this last week how we attach value to ownership, and it just goes to show the, the hypocrisy of how we oftentimes act, that I was reading, and there was this painting that went for $25,000, and it's a painting of Mickey Mouse. And we're not talking about the Mona Lisa. We're talking about Mickey Mouse, 25000 bucks for a painting of Mickey Mouse. Now, I don't... I don't care how rabid of a Disney worshiper you are. It sure seems to me like who in their right mind would buy a piece of art about Mickey Mouse for $25,000? Or here's another one I read about. that Someone bought some goggles for $141,000. Now, what in the world would make goggles worth $141,000? Were they hewn out of a single piece of diamond? Or another one, a guitar. A guitar that went for $106,000. I don't care what kind of wood stone you make it from, even the wood from, like, the cross of Jesus. It probably is not worth $106,000. So what would possess a person to spend $25,000 on a painting of Mickey Mouse or $141,000 for a, gu- a set of goggles or a guitar for 106 dollars It was who owned them that made them expensive the case of the Disney painting, it was Michael Jackson's. And there are people out there who love Michael Jackson. And it was worth it to them because he owned it. The goggles? Amelia Earhart. Someone thought, oh, there's a piece of history. I'll buy her cheap goggles for (laughs) $141,000. Because she owned them and she wore them. Or the guitar, played by the king himself, Elvis Presley, made it worth $106,000. That is We associate worth with how great a person is and whether they owned it or not. And what's ironic is every soul in this room belongs and is a masterpiece and personally cherished by God Himself. He owns you. He belongs to you. And to see one another as property, holy and sacred property of Almighty God, that's your life make a difference. Oh, it's like we should, in our minds, sew a little label onto people's skin. You know, the, like the ones in the back of your... I know that's kind of gross, but um, unlike on the back of your shirt, it's like, oh, hey, it's Banana Republic, or that's the gap, or if you're really low budget, it's Old Navy, you know? Only in this case, it's, it's property of the Lord. If we thought of each other that way... As not only having that divine imprint carrying forward the divine glory of God, but also being owned by Him, we would treat each other different, thinking this person has a tag belonging to the Lord Himself, including the unborn. Now let me digress for just a moment and address what is the controversial question, when does life begin? Again, when does life begin? For me, personally, that's an irrelevant and irreverent question. Even beginning to guess when life begins after conception is to tread upon the mystery of divine life. And we have no business going there. We have no business as human beings even attempting to answer when that begins beyond conception. It is, a, it is, a, it is a, an act of pure arrogance to think we can say, this is when the soul begins, or flip it around. At what point does the termination of life from conception to the actual, say, death, at what point does it become murder? I think someone would probably answer, well, we don't know for sure. But we think, and this is the mindset of society, we think it's at birth. We think it's at birth. So so what you're saying is we're going to hedge on that ambiguous question. We're going to hedge on murder. Well, we think life actually starts at birth. You're going to take that kind of chance with murder? If you're going to hedge on something, hedge on having another piece of pie or driving over the speed limit. But not life. See, that's why I think it's an irrelevant and irreverent question. Because God is the one who determines that. Shouldn't even be asked, much less attempted to be answered. And at some point there's going to be hell to pay for making that decision and deciding this is when life begins and so we'll terminate it when the baby's halfway out. There's a tag on every unborn soul that says property of the Lord's. And in four weeks we manage to wipe out 25,000 of them in California. Human life bears the mark of God himself, and we are owned by him. That's all comes out of that statement. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. That's how important human life is by way of creation. But then let's take it a step further and just think about human life in terms of redemption. That God, in an act of sheer grace and love, determined to recall and redeem and recapture His fallen images. To redeem them and, and to restore what was once gloriously in them, namely reflections of His glory. I mean, that's why we're being conformed to the image of the Son. To have that image restored in us and magnified a thousand times. God demonstrated His love toward us to humans that while we were yet sinful humans, fallen and behaving bad, Christ, God's Son, died for us to restore us to that place. Redemption itself magnifies, the, 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 in God's mind, how important humans are. I mean, you kind of back up a little bit and just think for a second. Of all the forms, creaturely forms, that God chose to weld himself to. He chose mankind. He didn't choose to come as a hippo, platypus, or a gorilla. But God, from the very beginning, before the foundations of the earth was, was laid, He determined that He would forever take on the form of humanity. That God and man would become one forever. I mean, that's what Hebrews teaches, that Jesus would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek forever. So when God came in human flesh in the person of Jesus, He welded Himself to human form and fabric forever. And He welded Himself into that fabric in a way that allows us to worship an image and not commit idolatry. That should elevate just how important humanity is to the mind of God, that that's who He chose, human form, to come and eternally weld himself and then become the object of worship. But then you add on to the fact that, that the fact that he, he poured out his blood, he, he sacrificed the, 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 the life of his own son. Why? Well, to redeem humans, people, and then to resurrect them as humans. To be in that humanity forever at the expense, again, of His divine life. Does it give you a sense that maybe God really cares about humankind? Now, I know at this point you're going to say, well, well, not everybody in the human race is going to accept what God has done in Christ. Of course. And I also recognize that the worth of man is not intrinsic to man himself. The greatness of man is seen in the greatness of God's love for him. I get that, but that still does not deny the fact that God chose. God chose to sacrifice the most important thing in all eternity, namely Himself, His Son, for the sake of redeeming and reclaiming humanity. Now, if that doesn't elevate just how important humans are to the mind of God, then nothing will. That, rightly speaking, human life is holy ground. And it's sacred. And it should be treated as such by every single human being to every other single human being. You know, we were in Israel a few years ago, and, and I remember this picture. I'll never forget it. We were in the in the northeast, northwest side of Galilee in this little holy site. Apparently, Peter and his boat were there. And uh, there was this line far- forming inside this little chapel. And, uh, and I was thinking, what in the world did they get in line for? And people were getting in line, and they were when it came their turn, they were getting down on their hands and knees and they were gently and reverently kissing a stone. And then they'd get up and the next person would come, bow down, and they would kiss the stone. And just at that moment I was baffled. I thought, you know, Jesus didn't die for that stone, but he did die for people. I mean, comparatively, that stone versus a human life. Infinite difference. Infinite difference. Human life is holy ground. It's sacred to God by way of creation that He created every life in His image and He owns you. He owns every life around you and He poured out His blood to save humans. That should elevate just how important life is. And if you see people that way and you get that truth, it will make a difference in how you treat one another. Not just the unborn. I think the issue for the church in my opinion, is not that we don't understand that life is sacred. It's that we don't apply it. And we don't apply it consistently. So that if we're passionate about passing laws to protect the lives of unborn children, which we should do, but we come home and we treat our wife or our children or our boss like garbage, then we're fundamentally inconsistent and hypocritical. That this truth about the sanctity of life means we cherish not just one sector of the human continuum, but every life along the continuum, from unborn to born to middle-aged to aged. That they're all important. Now granted, God may call us in our ministry, in our service, to focus on one particular aspect. I work with middle-aged people, or I work with youth, or somebody like a William Wilberforce might be called to end abortion but not to the neglect of the rest of humanity. Your wife is to be cherished as holy ground. And your husband is to be cherished as holy ground. And your kids and your boss and the people in your neighborhood, they are holy ground. Their life is sacred to God, and therefore it should be sacred to you. I mean, it gets back to, to what we have been studying in First Corinthians 13. At the bottom of all this is loving what God loves treating as sacred what God created and deems sacred namely his people people humans created in his image owned by him and worth the life of his son comes back to that you want to be pro life be pro all life don't make pro life or sanctity of life simply a sermon to hear once a year but a way of life to live every day. You cherish life because God created it. Therefore, it's His. We still reflect Him. And He offered the life of His Son for people. So back to the question. Please tell me who I am. Please tell me who I am. You can either walk down a corridor and say, Hey, look, here's Ham the monkey. This is your noble lineage. Or you can walk down the corridor of Scripture and say, This is the dignity and royalty of human life. You reflect Almighty God. You belong to Him as a cherished possession, and He has for those who trust reclaims your life for himself on a purely pragmatic basis, which would you choose? Uncle Ham or the fact that God created you with dignity and with royalty and with honor to reflect himself, to be owned by him and reclaimed by him in the person work of Jesus Christian message and what it says about life is magnificent if people will wrap their brains around it and if we take the time to apply consistently that the person sitting next to you right now is sacred and when you go to work and you sit in a cubicle the person next to you is sacred and to treat them that way I dare say it would change the way we we relate that's why I said at the beginning this doctrine This truth of the sanctity of life is bigger than just abortion. It has to do with all of our relationships. So I hope um, God will not only inform our minds with that truth, which most of us affirm, but also inspire our hearts to cherish what he cherishes, namely human life. And we have a way of honoring this morning that human life. And um, I'm going to call up Pastor Tony and Pastor Dan. And we have a couple baby dedications we're going to do just to honor the new lives that God has brought into our congregation. And so Dan, Tony, take it away.